Hello again, everybody. It is time now for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Albeit being recorded on a Sunday morning, it is the 11th of October, 2020. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Well, we have a full docket of things. We're going to wrap up the Detroit Tigers season, abbreviated as it was, but certainly plenty to talk about there. We're also going to talk some Lions, because I guess we're obligated to contractually or something. Um, And a little bit of NFL, as things are getting a little COVID-y in the NFL. Um, Just this morning, more uh, breaking news on that front. NBA, though, has done a pretty good job. Um, Potentially uh, that season finishing tonight. We'll touch on that a little bit. Also, the NHL, the Wings have been very busy uh, in early free agency. And I want to talk a little bit of NHL before we're out of here and a few other things along the way. So hopefully you stick around for another edition of the Sports Informant. Well, I figured we would start in, uh, in Tigerland, um, and this bizarre abbreviated major league season that thank, thankfully at least happened because I got to watch a little bit of baseball this year. And so, um, there was that, but what we also had was uh, honestly a, uh, unexpected, uh, emergence of youth this season, um, not the way they drew it up on the chalkboard. But nevertheless, I think the Tigers did the best they could with what they had to work with. Some guys came to the majors before they really should have, but at least they got to play some games. And I guess the question is, where do we go from here? And, you know, how are, I think people have to understand the Tigers aren't going to contend in 2021. Um, and their plans got just kind of scuttled a little bit, and they're going to have to reshuffle the deck in 2021. And so, so for me, it was actually a successful season on the whole, and we can dive into the whys of that in a second. But one of the things, and I want to make sure that I'm not crazy or being, you know, an Alavila slappy or anything like this, but in some of the message boards that I uh, read and, and columns and what have you, there has been this not not overwhelming but not insignificant opinion that the Tigers drafts of the past few years, not like the last two, but like from 16 to maybe 18, can now officially be called busts. And I don't think that's a legitimate opinion, um, you know, based on the performance of Casey Mize this year. Um, and a few other things like that. I was just curious what you guys thought. I, I mean, we're in 2020, right? So that means that, I, I mean, when you say 18, I mean, maybe, maybe you could talk about 16, but, and, and really, if you think about it, when you get to 18, you're saying, okay, so they played in 19 and they didn't have anything to, they couldn't play in 20. So I don't even know how you even come to that assumption. Um, and, and let's be honest, I think the big one that really leads you to down that path a little bit was uh, um, uh, unrealistic, uh, almost unattainable expectations of Casey Mice, uh, as far as that goes. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, again, they haven't had that, the, you know, a couple of those blockbuster players break through. But I, you can have that conversation after 21, but I don't think you can have it after 20. So. Yeah, I think that's generally my sentiment, too, on the draft. You know, a couple things that I think make the conversation really difficult. One, he's going to live and die by all the assets they had to move um, as this team was rebuilding and what he got for them, which is why I've always harped on somebody like Candelario being so critical to how we look at Al Avila. Yeah. And the other deals that he made to unload, you know, quasi-Hall of Fame talent or Hall of Fame talent, you know, in the reconstruction of the team. So that's one. The second thing that makes it difficult is the dude is stacking up top five picks. And so, like, one way or the other, like, someone who's not a complete moron, and we've had plenty of those in the city of Detroit, as we'll talk about later, 
but he's going to get really good players. They're going to play like, you know, and then I think the third thing, and to Adam's point, is timing in baseball. There's just not enough time. You know, mm-hmm. really evaluate guys that were drafted two, three years ago that were drafted at 20, 19, 21. Like, that's not how baseball works. So if it was the NBA um, or, or uh, maybe even the NHL, maybe you could make a different case. But Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 th- that is my opinion as well. And particularly given that these guys didn't get a season in the minors this year. So Casey Mize would have gotten 10, 12 starts at AAA this season before he ever went to the major leagues. So I think it would have been a, a totally different thing. Paredes would have played the entire year in AAA until September, and then he would have come up in September um, and is still only what, 20 years old. So, um, you know, like, yeah. I think there has to be some patience on that, um, so on and so forth. And – the, the, the good thing is, I, this is another one that's totally puzzled me. I saw some Victor Reyes hate out there. And I'm like, I think he's really turned into a solid ball player. Yeah. Um, and, and really pleased with the way he went. And then two other guys that you have to really um, be pleased with this season, Willie Castro and Jamer Candelario. Um, and if these guys can play like they did this year, that that is too that's two pieces to a real infield right there. Yeah. You know, I think my take on Avila as a whole, as the, you know, the, the other, the other Avila slappy spectrum is not a big fan of his uh, over the last, you know, two years on the show. Um, I see, I still see this season, as I've said, last month or two as a success. Um, primarily for the reason you mentioned, which was the emergence of position players, which, you know, Adam has long talked about as the Achilles heel of the reconstruction strategy of the team was a lack of quality position players. And so if a Willie Castro and a Victor Reyes, two guys that you did not trade big assets for, um, that you did not draft in the top five, they're not, you know, they're not um, Riley Green, um, begin to emerge as regular players, then you might have a shot. The bad is obviously that the starting rotation was historically bad, Um, like real, real bad. And but the reason I don't worry about that as much is that one in rebuilding a team with pitchers, you're going to have hit and misses. You're going to have boom bust guys. Like, I mean, that's just gonna between Mize, Manning and Scooble, one of them may never throw more than, you know, 400 innings in, in majors. That's just possible. And no, we have no doubt. And, and that's where we have the depth. And so if the worst to say going into next year is that, you know, we've got a whole bunch of collection of young arms that got beat the hell out of, you know, uh, during this shortened season, so be it. I can live with that. And I would add, too, that, um, you know, Fulmer is another guy who would have thrown six, eight starts in the minors before he came back from Tommy John. And I'm not willing to write him off either. He he basically got his minor league rehab starts at the major league level, and the results were what he would expect um, coming back from that. So. I'm actually not worried about the pitching because you've got all of those guys and some guys in the minors we haven't even seen yet. And uh, yeah, I'm not worried about that, but I I will say too, again, not to make excuses, but the Tigers did have a a rough run of luck with injuries again this season. Um, I mean, you lose like Nova who didn't pitch well when he was there, but basically out of the gate, they didn't have Nova. They didn't have Zimmerman and they didn't have, um, uh, Agrizal, who was supposed to be their fifth starter. Um, so you just walk into the season with three of your starters on who are either on the IL or quickly go there. Once again, most major league teams don't lose three starters within the first month, and their starting pitching is great. And it happened on the bat, a batting card too, right? You know, you yeah. go out, you you know, and Alvila went go out, he gets CJ Crone and go ahead and gets uh, Jonathan Scope, and both of them get you know injuries that really laid them up. And we talked about it on the last show. I think you know Victor Riaz, you're correct with him. He definitely is, he continues to develop. I thought I saw quite a bit of development in Jacoby Jones, where he took the next step this season in the play that he had, giving you the impression that maybe uh, you you might have your outfield of the future, or at least some pieces that'll be there, you know, down the stretch between Reyes and, and uh, 
um, uh, Jacoby Jones. And, and like you said, if you have some pieces on the infield, that to speak of. And I mean, going back to Michael Fulmer, quite honestly, he, he, he pitched. He and he didn't get there. There, there's no uh, uh, injury setbacks, and as far as I'm concerned, that's a 100% A1 season. Because otherwise, I, I, you know, I'm just it, it makes me cringe every time you bring a guy back from a surgery like that and wondering if it's not going to get fixed. And the point being, it was, and uh, uh, he, he he pitched, no setback. Now you give another full off season to continue that recovery process. And I think then you have a, a lot better um, uh, Michael Fulmer in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think part of the reason why and the injury thing, like I think our injuries last year were really bad um, in 19. I think for all the reasons we give slack, the Tiger slack on one side abbreviated season, I think you have to give slack to the to the gods on the other side. I mean. You know, there was a there was an article in August written in the Ringer about the epidemic of pitching injuries this season. Like, I mean, it's just it's the cost of doing business. There were teams that did lose two to three starters, and they still made the playoffs. So, you know, the, the problem with the Tigers is, you know, they, the guys that they were bringing in to fill in are all guys that should be could be frontline starters in three years. Right. Now. Right. Right. You know, or or a bill or have the ability to go sign a guy and pay too much money or trade for a guy at the deadline for too much, like. They were just in a position where the injuries they had couldn't be backfilled in a way that was going to make them And that's where, that's where you know, it just sucks. But, you know, it's, if, if any year that was going to happen, why not this year, you know? Well, no, them to win anything this year. Yeah, no arguments there. And speaking of, you know, pitching injuries, Verlander's going to have Tommy John surgery. Right. And he's going to essentially miss two full seasons. Um, you know, and that's just – that's kind of where we're at. I mean – that's that's where baseball is kind yeah. of at right now. Going back to your narrative about the 2016, 2018, I think one of the things that that kind of goes in quote unquote in favor of the uh, uh, of of that opinion of not being successful is I think uh, what many perceive to be uh, a lackluster performance by Casey Mize. Now, I, I, I'm not. One, I mean, but I think a lot of people were looking at his potential and they thought, oh, well, maybe his potential is a little more capped than what we think. Um, and, and I think the, the narrative, I think, is very much dependent upon a little bit of what we saw from Casey Mize. But I think what needs to be reiterated in that same scenario, he is 23 years old. Uh, he, um, and, and again, like second full, you know, professional baseball season at this point. And, you know, to, to the narrative that you have given very thoroughly is that uh, most of these guys would have never seen Major League Baseball for the most part, other than maybe a starter or two. Uh, and, and I think, and, and so much of it is, is that people are clamoring for, you know, you know, some sort of glimmer of light. But unfortunately, if you follow baseball at all, uh, Dwight Gooden is Dwight Gooden. And, and Dwight Gooden going come every 20 years for the most part. And you can only ask for so much. And that wasn't going to happen with Casey Mize, right? And, and I think you have to be very realistic. Uh, and at the same time, you look at the other side, Terrence Skubal, uh, was a guy that they brought up, and you know what? He actually had some really quality starts, and he showed some liveliness on his ball. So I think it's it, it just this constant balancing. And unfortunately, right now, I think that this team, even though it's been losing, even though it's been you know in the dumps now the last couple of years, is still under a, a tremendous microscope. And in a lot of ways, they should be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They should be. It's a major league baseball team. Figure it out. But when you're doing a rebuild. Unfortunately, rebuilds are brutal. Yeah, and, and so speaking of Tommy John surgery, uh, Tarek Skubal, the whole reason why the Tigers got him, and I think it was the ninth round, is because he had had Tommy John surgery out of college. And here's a kid who, who quite honestly, is, pa is past Mize in terms of development track. And and you could see that in some of these games. Um, and even stretches from Mize, too. He had stretches of... of where you could see the future, but you know, this is why you can't write a guy like Fulmer off again, because you don't look at what a guy like Scooble does. Um, but anyway, interesting end of the season by Miggy. Um, definitely wanted to touch on that. Um, so he played 57 of the 58 games 
I did the math as if the Tigers had played 60, like he had had a few more days off. Basically, his numbers equate to hitting 250 with 25 home runs and 90 RBI. I think if Cabrera actually did that for the next couple seasons, people would probably be okay with that. I would be ecstatic because I don't know that we're going to see that kind of production out of him really. Um, but given his last week of the season where he just put up silly numbers, um, it'd be interesting to see what next, next year holds. You know, let me, uh, a hypothesis and, and a, basically we'll get us to our next subject, but did you find it at all peculiar that he put up the numbers after Ron Garden hire left the team? I hadn't considered that. I, I, I don't, put any value into it. I didn't see anyone bring it up. I just couldn't help but but see this almost resurgence of performance here in the last week after Ron Gardenhire stepped down, which I don't think is – and again, do, do I think? No, absolutely not. I don't think anyone – but but after a, a little bit of scuttle about him not giving any interviews to the press, uh, Mickey Cabrera, um, and um, really just – being incommunicado for the most part, and of course, the organization being uh, supportive, if you will, of that that uh, uh, stance. Um, and then to see Rod Garner hire, I, I, I just thought that the, the coincidence was at least one to bring up and, and at least pontificate on that. Well, and let me add a little bit of fuel to the fire. He gave his one and only interview. Um, after Garden Hire left, uh, also. So, if you want me to to fuel the conspiracy theory, um, there you go. Yeah. No. I. I. And and I think. Uh, you know. When. We, and and I think the good news, though, is that you can potentially take that. Uh, you know, take that last week of the season as something that is something. It's you know, it's like being on hole eighteen of a golf course, and you. You played terrible, but you had that one last drive. And, oh, God, I'm, I'm coming back. So whatever. So, yeah. I, and that's the way I look at the Megan Cabrera is that, you know, there, there was spark. And certainly from a sabermetric standpoint, he hit the ball as hard as anyone in the majors this year. Uh, and, and, you know, even up to that final week. So uh, there, there still seems to be that gusto on his side. Yeah, yep. I, I, you know, I'm slightly less optimistic, obviously. Um, one, what are the odds he stays healthy for a full season? Those numbers and OPS, OBP, batting average, 70, depending on the stat, 70 to 200 points lower than career averages. I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm more of a subscriber to Adams. Like, oh, I birdied the 18th, but I shot a 115. Well, I mean, you know, his OPS was, you know, hovering in the low 700s for most of the season, which is, you know. Not, not good. Are you a professional baseball player is what we're asking at that standpoint. <laughs> what, I what I told Justin via text at the time is that how hard he was hitting his home runs. Like, I mean, I was encouraged. Like, I think the yeah. issue here is, is he comfortable enough, one, continuing to not play first base because he seemed kind of irritated about it, and two, potentially moving down to four or five in the order. And if you do those two things, I think the scenario that Justin is offering is more plausible and would be a perfectly acceptable, if not a big win for this organization. You know, I don't even think about the money. I don't care about the money. It's sunk cost. It's to Correct. An MVP, generational caliber hitter at the time. The contract was, it was a bad contract. Most teams give out bad contracts for guys like that. So it, it was what it was. But the question is, is can he live with being a DH to stay healthy? And will, can they move him down in the order? And then more importantly, bring in someone in that three hole that can rack up the kind of total bases, the, you know, 375 OBP, whatever, what you need to keep the engine of your order and then let him, you know, fire guys on second and third all the time. Yeah, no, he has to move down in the order to four or five. Yeah. There, there's no question about that. I mean, he hit four for a long time here under Leland. Um and I, yeah, I think his his spot is four or five because once again, you get a legitimate guy. Let's just say it goes to four. You get a legitimate three hitter. How many people? I mean, we even saw it this season with him struggling at times that people pitched around him. Yep. Um, so how how many times is our number three hitter going to get pitched around to get to Miguel Cabrera with a guy on first? Exactly. And and 
yeah, I I am a hundred percent agreement. Well, and I think going back to you know Miggy and the spot in third is that again, I mean he, he his protection in that order at four has been basically terrible. I mean, and <laughs> and I, uh, you know, if I were to defend or give a positive case, if you go out and you put a you know get a player that's way more dependable uh, and way more talented at the four and, and five positions. Well, then I, I would have been very curious about what happens if CJ Chrome would have been healthy all season. That's what, true what exactly too. his performance would have been, right? No, so, right. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, if I mean, it is also true that if Cabrera still had, you know, um, 2013, 2014 Victor Martinez hitting behind him, he would have had a better season. I mean, yeah. that's true of any player. And also, if he was 2013, 2014 Miguel Cabrera, he would have had a better season. <laughs> You get my point. Uh-huh. But I think it stands, It also stands to stay. Like, I mean, even with that Victor Martinez in front of him, I don't know that this guy can do what he did. No. Oh, God, no. You know, his body is just kind of worn out. No, yeah. but but again, we, when you go back and you see that, you know, it'd be one thing if I, I didn't see the fact that he wasn't hitting the ball hard. I mean, I, if, if he was just kind of lollygagging the ball out there, well, then, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, hitting like Tony Gwynn, I mean, that, that'd be one thing. But he's not. I mean, he's really, really hitting the ball hard. And that's where I go back to the, you know, the possibility if you go out and you get someone that is actually protecting him a little bit, I, I, I'm curious about what he would do. In the end, we're all on the same page. He's not going back to, you know, and he's not going to be David Ortiz. But I think there's still that potential that he can get the stacks that Justin's talking about the 20 to 25 home runs and the, and, and maybe, you know, 90 RBIs. So. And one positive uh, is next season, again, barring injury and just having the same level of production he had this season, even before that final week, he is going to hit 3000 hits and 500 home runs. Almost certainly that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, to watch and it's yes. not something you get to experience very often it's a once in a lifetime thing when a player mm-hmm. generally speaking get, hits either of those numbers and you're going to have a guy hit both and he's one know. of yeah not a, I don't even think it's 20 players who've ever done that so what, what do you make shifting gears here to Ron Gardenhire what do you make of his abrupt leave at the end of the year I don't think he was ever comfortable uh, managing during a pandemic. I think yeah. he was always concerned about his health. I think he's probably a guy that was concerned about his health regardless of if anything was going on, perhaps getting family pressure around taking care of himself. And I think just the stress of operating in a pandemic environment as someone who's a little bit older, um, it sounded like it was creating a, quite a bit of anxiety for him. And yeah. health-related anxiety issues. And he just, you know, didn't want to do it anymore. And I don't blame him. I'm totally agreement. I mean, I think the point being, it, it reached the point where he just could not do it anymore, which I, I, you know, watching him, listening to him, I didn't get the impression it was that bad. I mean, he did a pretty, I, I, I thought, I thought he did a pretty good job of, of at least conveying uh, confidence that he was, you know, everything was under control. Uh, I think that was more. And again, to your point, Justin, the the timing. I mean, if you had done it this long, why why not the just take care of it the extra two weeks? Uh, and and I, I I think the other concern to me from an organizational standpoint, and maybe I'm reading too far into it. It almost seemed like Al Avila was surprised by it, and I think that's that's the thing that kind of took me and and made me a little on the concern side that he seemed to be taken aback. So I don't know how much, but how much of it was just Ron Gardenhire just made an abrupt decision and it wasn't necessarily something that someone could pick up on like an Alvila or if it was just Alvila not picking up on the signal. I don't know. I I tend to think it's mostly the former. Um, However, it, it, it is a little bit concerning. Um, however, Gartenhire even said in his interview afterwards, he went to the ballpark that day not expecting to retire. So if a guy drives to the ballpark thinking, I'm going to coach the team tonight and then decides, you know what, I'm going home, to a certain extent, that's on that person. Um, and I, yeah. think, 
I, I, I think, you know, I don't know if Gardenhire had told Avili he was planning on retiring at the end of the year yet. I don't remember the order that he had told McClendon and a couple of the coaches that he had made that decision. I don't even know if he'd passed that to Avila yet or not. But there was definitely an expectation that he was going to finish the season. And like, I mean, he was he was literally in uniform when he retired. Like he had gone to the ballpark, put on his uniform. Um, if you watch the press conference, he was going about his business. And he finally had that conversation with Avila saying, I can't do this anymore. And then in the course of that day, um, like his wife said, she didn't even know that this was happening. Uh, he had to call her and say, oh, by the way, I retired. Um in the course of that day, he just realized, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth doing these last couple of weeks because I, I'm I'm sick I, I, with anxiety. I'm shaking. Um, what's the point of doing this? And then he had to confront the players and say, I'm not quitting on you. And the players were very supportive Yep. and saying, you're a great guy. Look, if you need to be healthy, just go be healthy. And we got this my, two weeks left. My, my guess is that what he said to Avila that day may have been the first time he said some of those things out loud to anyone. It's possible. He may have just realized in his head, if this is the kind of things I'm, I'm saying to my boss right now, then maybe I need to be in a different place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but thrilled to have had him here for three mm-hmm. seasons. Um, yep. And um, wish him the absolute best. What a, what a professional. And just so happy to have him, Vavra, Anderson. These are guys who just know how to coach, you know. Yeah. Which of so course, shattered to think what some of these seasons would have been like without a guy like Gardner. No question. Right. No, I think that's the. Had he not been there, who knows how bad it would have been? And I, ugh, I don't even want to venture to go there. Quite, I like a dark, dark uh, potential right there. <laughs> yes, it is. So um, and we'll talk more about the potential manager search uh, in future shows. Obviously, um, you know, the early rumblings, AJ Hinch, uh, Alex Cora. Um, there's a handful of others that I'm not thinking of right in the moment. But Donnie Kelly. Donnie Is Kelly, baby. Um, yeah. Uh, yep. So it'll be interesting to see what direction uh, the Tigers plan to go with that and we can dive into into that later in the pluses and, and, and minuses and, and i'll tell you what if the two names that you brought up i mean whether it be an alice core aj hinge if they if they are really seriously considering the tigers organization it puts the organization as a whole in a different light that maybe then some of us even have it in that they would go yeah this is where we think we're, we want to be so uh the, 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 sure. it, it, it it would be a very reveal it, it will be very revealing how uh, how the call shakes out so any last thoughts on the tigers before we uh move along uh, no other than it, it was nice to see and, and we've noted before a little bit of baseball excitement in detroit in 2020 um certainly not where we want it to be but boy it was nice just to have a little bit of progress and i think the good news we're able to wrap our heads around in this country with covid in, in the summer of 2021 the good news i think the uh the seek will be uh significantly more populated down in comerica so and i think that will even be better here here and unfortunately we might be exposed to pom-poms but we'll uh we'll find through well, we will fight through it. All right. Uh, moving on to another Detroit team that um, is not doing great. Um, and quite honestly, I can't even equate these two teams and never will, um, barring miracles. Um, the Detroit Lions are terrible. Again, mm-hmm. once again, forever and ever. Um, I the, My favorite moment of this past, I think it was this week or might've been the week before when Dan Orlovsky went off on Matt Patricia on whatever show Orlovsky's on one of ESPN 12 or whatever. And just that Patricia had said in a press conference, you know, we, we, we had a lot of work to do when we got here and it's a slow process and we're working through it. And Orlovsky's like, no, we went to the playoffs before you got here, and we had three out of four winning seasons before you got here. 
Um, so no, you're full of it. And, um, I, you know, as somebody who swore off the lions now over 10 years ago, um, just looking at this as a mostly neutral observer, I mean, Patricia is a clown to me um, from, from my standpoint. And I'm curious if anybody thinks otherwise at this point. I watched, you know, I I got done. I had not watched much of the first two games. Sat there, watched the Arizona game. I thought, you know what, this is good. We went ahead and we got away from the man-to-man defense that was clearly wasn't working out very well. Uh, you know, and and there were stretches in the game, but I mean, we talked about it in the last game where. I just think parity is the biggest story in the NFL at this point with the 31 teams that are out there not named the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but then we fast forward to last week watching the New Orleans Saints game. You know, the weather wasn't good enough to really go do anything. So I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and I'm thinking to myself, after two and a half years, we have players in the field that cannot tackle. That was my brink right there. That that was the okay. I've 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 had enough. And, and again, I've given every narrative to go. Okay, I can maybe understand the thought behind moves and whatever. I've given. I've run out. I've run out of narratives at this point. With with the only caveat that I'm going to offer as far as this team. And when you look at the schedule, the rest of the season, the rest of the season, there's not very good football teams on the schedule. Period. So. As much as I want to just go, you know, because in the end, because you look at the schedule and you look at the commitment of the five-year contracts, you knew that they weren't going to fire them during the, 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 anyone during the bye week, right? And, and, you know, so do I expect anything good to come out? No, no, I've now given up. I've I've gotten rid of the candle and the light of the candle. It's all distinguished. It's done. It's blown out. But it's just that 1% when I look and I go, well, just because every other team, because quite honestly, I've watched a lot of NFL football this year. There's a lot of Mexicans out there. There's a lot of Mexicans out there. And uh, I, I, in the end, I am still curious about how this all breaks out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, not a big fan of either of theirs. Uh, I'm pretty forward about that for a yeah. time. You know, I think uh, Matt Patricia is an absolutely terrible coach. Um, I don't think Bob Quinn's much better at what he does. Um, yeah, they're just really bad, and he can't coach a defense to have a point. So no. you know, if you were to tell me that Hawkinson healthy playing good football, that you have, you know, the reanimated body of Adrian Peterson giving you four and a half yards of carry, um, and you cannot win football games, you know, you can't do the basics on the defensive side of the ball. You can't hold a lead. You can't hurt people. Um, no, I mean, we're back at the Matt Millen crossroads. It's Matt Millen 2.0. I mean, you know, the, the records, the statistics aren't going to be as bad. Those, you know, kind of two and four seasons of Joey Harrington and Marty Morningwig, you know, we're not going to go. They there. are that bad. They but, are that bad, though. I mean, they, they are, that, they are stat-wise. That's why this is just totally baffling. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so, you know, they're going to have to clean house at the end of the year. Vegas is smart. Vegas put the over-under at six because of the terrible schedule, and they'll probably get to six or seven, or right? You know, a bunch of people are going to win money. A bunch of people are going to lose money. All, all the people that decide to bet on the Lions, whatever. But well, they get what they deserve. They're awful. I mean, they're just awful. Their defense is pathetic. pathetic. That's the part I don't get. Isn't he a defensive guru? Uh... No. <laughs> it's, just, it's all nonsense. Belichick, you know, once Patricia left, Belichick didn't even rehire a defensive coordinator. He doesn't care. He doesn't need one. Right. And I think that the, the, true, the true testament to how little Matt Patricia has of character and of accountability is when he referenced the Malcolm Butler play in a post-game press conference. Well, I had one of the biggest calls in the history of the NFL, you know, because I, I read that. No, Malcolm Butler jumped the route and made the interception in the Super Bowl. You didn't have anything to do with it. You know, and reference that he clearly walked in here, and I think Justin, you touched on this a little bit for Adam the last time we had a show. Was oh, well, he, he walked in here thinking because I was there, then somehow you know I don't have to earn anything here. Yeah, you did, and you can't because you don't have Bill Belichick with you. Yeah, yeah, that that is the absolute truth. And 
you know, one thing I do want to bring up as far as the, the last thing as far as the Lions go is Max Stafford. And I, I, I've now, I've watched the last two games with Max Stafford. Um, uh, and I think, Brandon, you have alluded to this a little bit in the last year. Um, but, but, but the thing is, when I'm watching Max Stafford, I, I, I don't know if it's the coaching staff. I don't know if Max Stafford himself. I don't know if it's just, just general degradation, if you will, of ability. But there is something lacking with Max Stafford. And I will tell you, I think, you know, I, the, the thing is, is that as bad as that defense is, there's a lot of bad defenses out there, by the way. There's, sure. there, there, there's the, uh, I talked about it on the last show, Seattle's defense is awful. By the way, Dallas's defense is awful. But somehow they're managing to, to get a win or yeah. two and part of a quarterback play. And I really do believe that had you had better quarterback play in the New Orleans game and better quarterback play in the Chicago game, yeah. as bad as yeah. this team is, yeah. it could have been three and one if your yeah. quarterback was playing the way he should have. Yeah, no, Adam, I think that's a really, really good point. Um, that yes, with Stafford playing at a different kind of level, are the agile three and one? I think you might be right. I mean, you can't come to any other conclusion in the Chicago game. I mean, that, that was, I mean, just, just, but I think with New Orleans too, I mean, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to beat up on the guy because he has had to play through just such trash. I mean, just what franchise from a, you know, a sports standpoint in terms of quality, uh, tough guy. I mean, just, he really has, has given everything he, possibly could, you know, um, and he's kind of turned me around in that regard in the last three years or so. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's coming down to the end of it. You know, he might be a guy that could go and have another big year or two somewhere else late in his career, you know, yep. with the Lions. I mean, it's just, this is what you're going to get. He's going to no, have he's... 20 touchdowns and, and 12 interceptions this year. But, 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 but the thing against that potential hypothesis is the fact that when I'm looking, I mean, I think, I think, Hawkinson has played very well this season and has been at, you know, and the, you had the one throw at the end of the first half there, um, uh, you know, in, in last week's game where, you know, you're expecting, you know, Hawkinson could have easily had that ball at the back of the end zone and it was a total short-armed, short, uh, um, uh, everything that happened and it ended up being that interception and a very pivotal play, play in that game. And, uh, um, uh, and, 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 you know, obviously the throw to DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, in, in the first game, I felt like, you know, bottom line, I just feel like there's a shortcoming. And when you look at the talent on this particular team, uh, it's very curious that he has not been. And I, I will say this, and, and uh, I'd be very curious if this team, and, and it's a little frustrating, quite honestly, on my side, I think this team is, is down the stretch. If they're going to win any football games and they're going to do anything with this team, it's got to be on the back of DeAndre Swift. That guy is uh, – and right now, uh, I have to tell you, I think the offensive play calling has been kind of lackluster as well. And they've got a real talent on their hands with DeAndre Swift that they better – if they're going to do anything, this coaching staff, they've got to take advantage of. Uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, it'll show you again, they're not capable of taking advantage of what they got. So. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm just, I don't, this is not, I'm not going to, this is not a logic-based argument. Uh, you, <laughs> any, anything objective or statistical to counter your argument other than to say the Lions are the Lions and that just leaving the Lions is likely to, you know, give someone wind in their sails for a handful of seasons. I mean, do we ever think Eric E. Brown was a 13 touchdown tight end? But his, sure enough, his first season to catch 60 balls for 800 yards and 13 touchdowns. He's never going to do that again. But, I mean, just the lift of the, of the Lions, you know. The, like no. He went to a, a yeah. talented roster, and, and this team does have talent on the offensive side of the ball that maybe he could have a few, few more good years. But I don't – on the whole, I don't disagree with you. This is Matt Stafford um, with a broken back from carrying this franchise – for so many years and he just can't do it anymore. No. And, and I, I really think mentally, physically, he's just past it. And I totally agree. You go put him in another uniform with a decent offense and a decent play caller, and he will be very, very solid um, and potentially 
good, very good for a few more years. So, but it is what the Lions do. And I don't think that's going to happen, by the way. I think he'll retire a Lion. I agree, but... So let's move on to the broader NFL. Um, and I guess the, the big story right now is the fact that COVID's impact has um, manifested itself. So um, what was it? Uh, Broncos Patriots is going to get moved to next Sunday. Thanks. And then, you know, Titans um, have had issues. They just had another staff member test positive. Um, yeah. So th- there's been stuff all over the league and just kind of wanted to get your guys's thoughts on that i think roger goodell and the league has done a completely craptastic job of managing this from end to end i really and i think what one you had all the time in the world you you, you had all the time in the world to try to figure out Amen. how to do this better what right secondly is the fact that not only did you have time but you had uh, a little bit of a footprint as to how to do it. And again, they were, and I think the, 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 the one thing that went against them was what they should have been doing all along is what they did during, you know, as they do every year in training camp, is they conclude the players and they make sure that they're not, and part of it's the model. You're only playing once a week and there's a lot of freedom once you hit, you know, because of those weeks. And I mean, I look at a case like, like Cam Newton, that's exactly what happened. He, he there, there, there was some freedom uh, to, you know, kind of live your life a little bit. And unfortunately here, the, there was not enough instruction by the league to go, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should not be doing. And it was even more imperative that the NFL did it based on the fact that they didn't have a bubble. So here we are, the situation, and do I think it will remedy itself? Yes, I do believe it will remedy itself, because, but it won't because of the league. It'll be because of the different teams basically yeah. going, this is what you're going to do, and this is the long list of things you're not going to do. Yep, yep, I totally agree with that take. I think, uh, you know, and it's just, and I think it's in the show notes for a little later, talking about the NBA. I mean, there are just some inherent challenges to the NFL mostly the size of the rosters. Um, you know, NBA, they're 16 guys and a handful of personnel. You know, football teams are small armies, um, you know, both from a roster standpoint and from a, you know, a staffing and personnel standpoint. You know, the quality assistant uh, number three or whatever that rewinds the VCR tapes for Matt Petrosha because I'm sure he's <laughs> VCR. Because he's just that old school, just that wily. Um, yeah, yeah, but but he is too good to press the rewind. That's button. right. That's right. That's right. Because that's what Belichick made him do in the nineties. <laughs> you know, I think that, that there's just I think Adam nailed it on the head. I think the coaches are going to start going, okay, guys, like we all take football way too seriously, so this is what we're going to do. Like the NFL is a machine that can't be stopped by, by darn near anything, and I think the coaches are just going to be like, guys, you have an eight p.m. curfew. Guys, you're not letting more than two be define your household, write down your household on this sheet of paper. I'm holding you to it. You know, that kind of a thing. I do think that's going to happen. No, I, and, yeah. and I think, you know, when you look at baseball, baseball is very large staff and whatever. They were able to figure it out and, 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 and stuff like that. And, I mean, now we're, what, 40, I mean, like some sort of very long stretch where there's been no positive test at all in Major League Baseball. Um well, and, and again, we were having this conversation with the Cardinals here three months ago. Will the NFL figure it out? Yes. Will it look kind of ugly for a while? Absolutely. And again, and, and I, a lot of blame needs to go to Roger Goodell, but it won't. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on to a league that's doing a lot better job, um, and that's the NBA. And, and, and again, just echoing what you guys are saying, I mean, the NFL had the, the opportunity to watch Major League Baseball do this, and it's like you, you have a blueprint in front of you, the good and the bad. And no, yes. it doesn't, the, the model doesn't fit exactly, but my God, you should be able to, 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 to come to some – level of something nba took the bubble approach and said hey and they were pretty strict about it too i mean you sneak out at night bye-bye you're out of here um 
And the other um, snarky joke I just want to make is in the NBA, they carry 16 players and 16 staff members because there's an assistant coach, I think, for every single player on the team. But that snark aside, uh, NBA has done a much better job, and it has made for an exciting um, playoffs. And we are down to um, Lakers being a game away from winning. That could happen tonight. Yeah, no, I mean, when you watch that series, I mean, it's, it's been a, 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 a fairly entertaining series. And, I, you know, uh, Brandon, as I stated, though, um, really, in, in, in all honesty, the, the Lakers are going to probably win this series. And when you look at the <laughs> when, when you look at the, 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 the heat, I, had, I mean, from a casual NBA fan, you go, no, no, I don't know that name. No, I don't know. I was aware of Jimmy Butler going into the playoffs. Now, if you're not aware of Jimmy Butler or you don't absolutely appreciate Jimmy Butler, you need to get out of the kitchen at that point. So, yep. uh, and he's been absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And of course, we can't do this show without throwing in a little mention of a guy named Kendrick Nunn, by the way, who has been really good and for what Kendrick Nunn is supposed to be in this finals. Yeah, you know, I think first I want to talk about how well I called the uh, Western Conference semifinals. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just needs to be acknowledged that I was oh, yeah. in there and that the two LA teams did great battle in the Western Conference finals. Yeah. Clippers blew three 12-point leads in the fourth quarter. Uh, to lose that series, so uh, you'd almost think they were the Lions. Indeed. Uh, so uh, putting that aside, yeah, uh, Heat have a team that you know we talked about what was going to beat the Lakers. The Lakers have the two best players, arguably left in you know going into the Western Conference Finals, have the two best players in Davis and James. Obviously, Butler is right there with them. It's a it's a team that doesn't have a co- a really great construction beyond those two guys, but you have LeBron. LeBron's done more with less, you know, and then you have an all-star. And was there a team with a composition like the Heat or the Celtics that could knock them off? And I think we're seeing that hypothesis being tested now. But it really is, for the casual NBA fan, you know, it, it must be kind of difficult to try to understand why. But having followed the league a little more closely, guys like Jay Crowder, outstanding defensive player. Um, and then the emergence of Duncan Robinson. Uh, yep. Know, product, former D3 guy who, you know – is arguably playing better now, you know, right-sizing the level of play than he ever played even at Michigan. He was very good at Michigan. But, like, his three-point shooting, truly elite. Um, and, and, you know, you pair those guys with Butler, who's giving, a, you know, a historic, you know, performance. You know, when they yeah. do the, the, the next NBA, you know, DVD, Ray, you know, great playoff performances kind of tape, he'll be on there. I mean, he's just been that good. And so – I think it's providing a, you know, a really interesting matchup on paper. I think that, and, and on, on the floor, but the unfortunate thing is it's not drawing in a lot of fans. And I think that's the difference between this year and the last couple of years is it's been LeBron as a one-man show versus a team like the Warriors. Or, you know, a Durant Warriors is he going to stay healthy as a team like the Raptors who are more like the Heat. So you know, they're suffering, but it's unfortunate because you're seeing – you know, a really, really well-coached, well-built team take on two superstars. Um, and I think they might actually push to a game seven, but I do expect the Lakers to prevail. Let me ask you one question. If there's a, a player that I think in the NBA that has arguably lost a fair amount in terms of, of what the impression versus what we've seen, and I'm not saying he's played bad, but it seems – Anthony Davis has, I, I, I don't know, I, I just, I've come across, I, I, his performance has come across as underwhelming, not necessarily in the finals, but in the playoffs in general, where I, I was expecting as much talk about him, I was expecting more, and it just seemed like he has fell short in terms of his execution. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I, I kind of lump Davis in with uh, Anatokounmpo, in that they are physically so gifted that I think it kind of, they're both elevated in a different way, perhaps beyond the, what, what they actually are on the floor because they can just do everything. They're seven feet tall. They can, they're athletic. They can defend, they can block, they can rebound, they can score. And I think that's kind of the, the deal with Davis is like, he's just really impressive as a, 
player, but not necessarily a LeBron James, Kevin Durant, you know, even Kawhi Leonard type of killer. The same for Anatokounmpo. Like, they're just not that guy. Uh, you know, and I think that the, the skill set being so rare is what gets them kind of the, – there's over-expectations perhaps on those guys. Um, okay. Their skill – they're the rarity. And, and, and again, I wasn't even – I mean, you could have told me I was dead wrong about my impression. And just, I, I, I watch Anthony Davis, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a really good player. But, and it's kind of strange watching him along with LeBron, and, and I'm – I'll be curious about where Davis goes, you know, because he'll be a free agent, right, this year or no, or is he locked in another year with the uh, um, Lakers? So I thought he would yeah, feel Yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the two questions, right? If the question you're asking yourself is, is he capable of carrying a team the way LeBron is? No. If you're, the question you're asking yourself is, has his performance lived up to the quality of where he, where he should be? I would say statistically it has. Okay. He's averaging 28-3 in the playoffs. That's over 20 games. So 28 points, just under 10 boards, and just over three assists. Those are pretty pretty awesome numbers. Um, I think where oh, yeah. this is exposed, like the way that Anatokounmpo is exposed, I think they struggle to carry on their own in the way that LeBron has. I also think they struggle to elevate beyond their, their, what their general ceiling is. Like LeBron is just like, oh, I'm just going to do 43, 15, and 12. <laughs> Might do it three times this series. <laughs> well, and again, I, I reiterate the, the, the point I made is that that break. I think you know. I mean, if if there was a composite yeah. that came I mean, out of just, COVID, the, the break for LeBron was incredible, and it went a long way. He's yes. just ridiculous. Yes, ridiculous. Like I mean, it's just he's a machine. You know, it's just, uh, you know the last dance has done a lot to reestablish kind of Jordan's greatness, and rightfully so. But LeBron is just ridiculous. Like there's just no, it's just physically ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So Anthony Davis has um, a player option left. Um, I haven't been able to figure out um, if there's two player options or one player option, but just a quick update on his contract. He has a player option that could take him through the 21, 22 season. So. Okay. And I, it, it's, in this NBA, what's going to happen? If you made a bet, I would say he exercised that option to remain with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Well, especially as abbreviated as this offseason will be. I, I, I was just thinking about that today. You know, I thought, oh, well, you'll have to wait till Christmas for the new season to, to start off. Well, yeah, it's right around the corner, everyone. Yeah, I think, I think he's, he's not going to know the, the, what's going to happen around him. You know, the Warriors are going to reload. I'll probably make a big splash again and they will be right back in the Lakers oh. face, you know? And so right. I, I would see it difficult for him to gamble on, you know, kind of the, what Kawhi and Paul George did in LA. I don't think he's going to do that particularly at the Lakers. And I think he's going to want the stability of being on a team that should be in the Western conference finals next year. I'll, I'll say one last thing about the heat performance is that when I'm looking at the heat performance and I'm thinking about the Pistons, it gives me a little more hope about what can happen if you have the right people in charge and you're making the right choices. Um, and, and I mean, just really, when you look at the heat, that's a fairly quick turnaround mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, 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 that they've had to put themselves in the position. And I, I don't think anyone's necessarily arguing that they're the second best team in the NBA at this point in time. But the point being is that they've put themselves in a fairly quick order of being able to really be at the top, you know, toward the top of the heap. And uh, that it's, it's a nice feeling if you're a Pistons, especially with some of the decisions the organization here is making. So. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Really good drafting on their part and then really good assembly of veteran players. Um, you know, adding Andre Iguodala couple of other depth guys they went out and got. And then hitting it rich on Kendrick Nunn and on Duncan Robinson. The minutes that those two guys have given, none in the regular season in particular, and Robinson in the playoffs. I mean, you can't account for and the un- two undrafted guys eating up those kind of minutes, putting up those kind of numbers is really going to radically propel a team with a guy like Butler, Jake Crowder, uh, Miles Leonard, a few other guys like that. So, Okay. Moving on to the last of the big four in the NHL. Um, again, NHL did a pretty marvelous job uh, with its bubble setup. And 
something very positive for the Red Wings is that the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. And so, I mean, Iserman built much of that Lightning team. Yep. Uh, they finally got their Stanley Cup with that roster. Um, and Iserman continues to, from what we can tell, do a pretty decent job uh, in the offseason. He got good marks for his draft um, from folks around the league. I mean, we had, what, 15 second-round picks or something. But, you know, got good marks for that and then has gone out and made some quick free agent signings that are of very decent value while still allowing flexibility. Like Thomas Grice will be the new goaltender to tandem with uh, Bernier. And, and and the thing that's, that I marvel at is – um, next season, they only have eight players under contract for next season. And so it's going to give him a ton of flexibility to go out and do whatever, maybe sign some guys to extensions or go out and get some new guys or whatever, make some big trades. It just, it sets him up to be able to do whatever he wants. Uh, and the, the big surprise was mostly surprised the buyout of applicator. Um, that that's a lot of contract to eat, but uh, probably the right move. Yeah, I think um, high, high marks for me as well. I think what you see him doing is the the strategy that I think Avila was trying this year to some extent, which is competitive but flexible, um, yep. and that is the mark of a rebuild that's about ready to turn. And so I I was buoyed by the fact that he made some of these signings because that tells me he thinks this team's ready to win sooner than rather than later. Stall. Ryan, Greece, like that tells me he actually thinks that, oh, one of these guys may hit, they may not hit, I'll move them out. Other, and, but I also may think that I can bring in a ton of talent via trade or free agency the following summer um, or whenever, however the calendar is going to work for the NHL. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how it's going to work. But that tells me he thinks his team's much closer um, than one might suspect by looking at them. And that's, that's exciting. It is. And I, I trust him. I mean, he's got a great track record. Uh, and and two, two thoughts about the Red Wings for me. Obviously, the change in goaltender, I think, is very notable. And Brandon just brought up recent. Um, I think that uh, – and, and it is interesting to turn the page on a, uh, on Jimmy Howard at this point. Um, I, I think we all felt it was almost inevitable. It's one thing to be inevitable. It's another thing to actually make the execution of uh, and make that actual change. Uh, and I think for Jimmy Howard, it's a, probably a real good thing, too. Uh, and I, hopefully he's able to find some sort of success that's close to Brasic, uh that he got in Carolina um, at, at that point. Um, the other thing, too, looking through the draft pick, uh, uh, I kept on reading and everything was from Sweden. And I thought that that was a, a, an interesting um, uh, uh, direction to take at this point in time, especially since it seemed like for years the fan base was kind of anti uh, the, the the European quote unquote soft model, including one player in Ted Colfin's uh, uh, column that they listed, uh, uh, Niederbach. Uh, according to the, he's five foot one. I, I that has to be a, a, a yeah that has to be wrong. I I, I can't imagine any you know. Uh, Gordon, I, I w- Gordon Bombay had considerable success. In the AHL, in the NHL, and Mighty Ducks too. Before he was injured by a cheap shot, and uh, he's not very tall. I assure you. I don't know if I won. I'm like, I, I didn't have time to even like go correct. I'm like, oh my gosh, poor Niederbach. Well, hopefully, he's got another eight inches uh, to grow. He's, he's so. doing a lot of weight training this summer, and so no. But I, I, I thought seriously though, the 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 first three picks from Sweden was uh, for all the talk and the fan base of you know. Being even though you won Stanley Cup through Swedes, it was still agitating to the fan base, and to go back and with it being Iserman there, um, uh, you know, making that, I, I thought that that was very notable. So, <laughs> I'm still stuck on the uh... <laughs> Gordon Bombay. <laughs> That's a good poll. That is that was outstanding. Um, so yeah, lot, lots of very positive things uh, for the Red Wings, and. Um, I will find the height of this individual before we're all said and done here. Um, but again, uh, so hockey will start back up in December and we'll definitely talk about that more. But again, echoing the idea of picking up a guy like a Bobby Ryan who has uh, Michigan roots and um, you know, a handful of stall. I mean, just a veteran solid guy, uh, Troy Stetcher that they just 
signed. Just a stay at home, or no, he's not as much. He's a little bit more of a two-way uh, defenseman. But again, a guy. These are guys who've played years in the NHL and have done very solid work. And it does. It puts a a competitive team on the ice with that flexibility. And I think that's a perfect summary. So do you guys want to touch on golf real quick before we get out of here? Sure. You know, the, when's the last time the World Fair took place? 1968, the World Fair. Who can our World Fair in 1968? And, now, I, and, and now, now the World Fair has reemerged with Kim Curtis Spectacle and Bryson DeChambeau. I, I, and if you wa- I couldn't watch it. I couldn't, I could, I mean, I'm watching him hit the ball. It's not even golf. It's like some sort of amusement park type of thing. And, and without the happy Gilmore run back. And I just, I'm, I'm watching and I'm thinking this is so world fair. Like, I mean, there's this, this spectacle out there and it's, and it's not even golf at that point. And quite, and again, I never liked the guy. And if it's even possible, I even liked the guy less. Because mm. of that. And of course he had the one where I, of course I was chuckling when I, I did watch a good portion of, 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 uh, of, I think it was the third round with him and Patrick Reed together. And I thought there's nothing more detested by fans than Patrick Reed break, breaking DeChambeau final uh, uh, for, for the U.S. Open. And especially after we had what we had the couple weeks before with, you know, John Rahm, you know, uh, and, and uh, 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 Dustin Johnson down the stretch the, you know, two weeks before. And yeah. then you had, of course, you know, Dustin Johnson completely blow out the field the following week. That was good golf to watch. It was good drama. It was good everything. And then they had the break of DeChambeau. I, I just, I just turned it off and went on with my life. So I, I'm, but uh, I think we'll be on before the Masters, and that will be very unusual to have that in November. I, I, I'm doing my best to adjust. And, and Brandon, you brought it up earlier. Uh, the the low ratings of the NBA, and I think there's a lot of explanations. I think there's probably maybe a lot of unknowns, and I think so much of it probably has to do with just the strange timing and people not adjusting to when that was in the NHL. I mean, when I'm thinking about the NHL, I mean, I thought, you know, the stars were a great team to watch down the stretch. Unfortunately, Tampa Bay was a little better, you know, of course. Uh, But, uh, but even with the U S open and going back to golf, such a great stretch down and then to, you know, have breaking DeChambeau there was luck. Yeah, no, I can, um, I can appreciate your feelings on that. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of his either, but I I did I did enjoy watching his performance on Sunday of the U.S. Open because at the end of the day, the guy still went out and was minus six at Wingfoot um, and beat the competition by six strokes on a course of that of that difficulty. Like, yeah, he correct. Won like one fairway or something or whatever. But you know, I think as a you know terrible golfer myself, like you know, it was fun watching him just deny the rules of the game and stuff. So, yeah, I'll just hit it into the second cut. I don't care. <laughs> I'll, I'll drink I'll drink a protein shake on my way out there and I'll be fine. I'll muscle it out in the second cut. Like I don't care. It's like a world fair, man. It, it, like, it, oh it my. really is. I mean I'll hit my pitching wedge 180 yards I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do I hope that you know he has a long reign in golf? I do not. I would be more than happy to see DJ or Kepka or one of the million of other guys that are hanging around that uh that caliber, uh, knock him off, but in, in November, certainly. So it's, it's the David Ortiz hit ball far, um, yeah. method of, of golf. Well, and I think the good news for golf is that the person that detests break a DeChambeau more than fans is Brooks Kepka, which I think Brooks Kepka detests breathing air, but, um, yeah. but, but, but I think Kepka, he absolutely has no use for him and and I and it's you know and he doesn't even hide it he just makes it no I don't like him period and I, and I, and I think Kep, Kepka is a little bit like <laughs> LeBron in that you know we'll see what some rest does for him yeah uh, I expect him to, to be maybe not you know winning two four every majors every year but I expect him to make some noise maybe in November but certainly next year correct 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 all right, as we get ready to wrap things up for this edition, I do have some uh, some feedback from the fact department, from the fact check department. Um, so uh, Niederbacher is five foot eleven, as one might have assumed. Um, 
he is not Gordon Bombay size. Okay, good. Um, just missing a one. Just missing a one. Correct. And let's just assume when you read an article by Ted Colfan, at least something in it is wrong. And then um, <laughs> the other bit of important fact check information is the World's Fair doesn't exist anymore. It's now known as the World Expo. And there was one held in Milan, Italy in 2015. And there was supposed to be one in Dubai this year, except COVID. So they're going to host that next year. So just in case you're wondering, I know this is really important. So, you know, I put an article in the chat about Gordon Bombay's movie ratings. Go check that out. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh, oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's going to wrap it up for uh, this edition. We'll be back on at some point in the future, sooner or later. Um, I don't know what our timing's going to be as we wander through this continued uh, COVID times, dark, dark times, what have you. But stick around, and if you follow us on Facebook or what have you, we'll keep you posted as to what we're going to be doing. Yeah, that, Big Ten football, couple of weeks. That's true. Correct. Yeah, Correct. nope. Good Correct. point. Good point. And and before you know it, we'll have basketball and hockey starting right back yeah. up. So, lots to cover. With that said, for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee. Thank you for listening once again to the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. We'll see everybody next time. Peace.